Let's get into the Word today. I'm going to pray before we get started. Father, we thank you today for who you are in our lives. We thank you that you are the great Father in our life. What a great example you are for dads today to be like you. So, Father, we thank you, God, for giving us ears and eyes and hearts to receive this message today. God, open them. Lord, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge. And, Father, we thank that every person, God, that has a, a bad habit or a, is a bondage or an addiction, Father, we thank you that that thing is broken off of our lives in Jesus' name. Because of what Jesus Christ finished, the work he finished on the cross, he said, it is finished, it's done, we're set free. So, Father, we choose as an act of our will to walk in that freedom that was supplied for us. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, say amen. All right. So we're in this series called uh, Disciple or Follower. A biblical term, I guess, born Bible days is, you know, disciple. Today we call them followers of Christ. We're talking about being one and then also making one because that is the Great Commission. That's what, that's what <clears throat> the Lord has called us to do. Just before Jesus resurrected, he said in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. Obey all those things, all of my words, obey my words. And then remember, he says, lo, I am with you always. So he never leaves us nor never forsakes us, but he's called all of his, all of the believers. He's called all believers who have received him as their as their Savior, as their Lord, to be a genuine, fully devoted follower of Him. So we ought to, uh, we ought to not just, again, be one, we should be making them. Isn't that right? And uh, that's just something that I think that we, should, we can do, is find people and that, you know, maybe that you work with, and maybe they, they're, they're, they claim to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know them from their life, and so just some different things from being around them, hearing their talk and stuff, begin to help them. And you don't have to beat them over the head with the Bible, but again, just begin really, it's called relational evangelism. It's where you talk to people and you live it in front of them. Amen. Because it's one thing that to, to talk it to them and not live it in front of them. You know what that's called? That's called a hypocrite. And that's not good. I like this statement. Uh, a lukewarm Christian is a bad advertisement for a, for a great God. So we want to be, we want to live it and show them and lead by example, those things. So if, if we're going to be one, if we're going to be a follower of Christ, then it would be very beneficial for us to know what one is. Isn't that right? And if we're going to make one, it's being, it's just obviously just as important again for us to know what we're, what we're trying to make. So we're simply just identifying some characteristics that ought to be reflected in our lives if we are what we say we are. If we say that I'm a follower of Christ, then these are some things that ought to be reflected in our life. Week number one, we talked about um, being all in, all in for him, all in for, for Jesus Christ. Jesus said, by, by way of comparison, now listen to this, by way of comparison, you've got to love him, you've got to love the Lord Jesus more than you do your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, all of them, your cousins, all of them. You gotta, you gotta love him more. And some people, some of you, some of you mamas, some of you mamas are saying, wait, 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 more than my child, more than my precious child, and more than your precious child. You gotta love him more than anybody by way of comparison. One translation says you gotta hate your father, your mother. But again, that's not saying that God wants us to hate. He says that 
he is love and we're commanded to walk in love. So we know that that's not what he's saying. He's saying by way of comparison, you have to love me more than you do everybody else. Isn't that right? And again, I'm always a little bit leery. People want to get to heaven and see their mama, their daddy, their everybody else but Jesus. I'm just saying, hey, get in line. You know what? And I think when our family, I think our family that's there, that's born again, that went ahead of us, when we got to heaven, when we ran after them, they'd be going, he's over there. He's over there. Don't come, go there. And that's what, we just got to check our love, man. Where, do we love him? Is he the most important thing? Because they are to followers. He is everything to us. And then we have to, again, it says in verse 27 there in Luke chapter 14, it says we have to take up our cross. We have to take up our cross. And, oh, that beats your heart. You know, the cross isn't a horrible thing. It's, it's kind of one of those oxymoron. It's, 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 it seems hard, but Jesus took up his cross and his cross to us was beautiful. It was that cross that he died on. It was his cross that we can become uh, Christians now because of what he did for us. And so our cross, it might be hard, but it's just, it's putting away things. It's putting our flesh down. It's taking up our cross and putting those things down that makes us more like him. So that's important. And then verse 28 says this, that we got to count the cost. We've got to count the cost. Isn't that amazing that Jesus said that before you become, say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Make sure you count the count of the cost. He said, you'd be like a person who starts building a house and you don't have the money to finish it. People will start laughing at you and say, look at this fool. He built this house or started building. He didn't, he, he didn't even get to the, the ground floor. Or he says, if a, if a king was going to war against a, a, another kingdom and they, you had 10,000 men and they had 20,000, you better see how, well, let me see how good my 10,000 is. Can I go? And it's, I, I don't think I can defeat them. I'm going to send somebody to them on their way. Here's a, hey, let's make peace. So there's a cost. There's a great cost being a follower of Jesus Christ. And have you counted that cost? So again, the second thing we talked about was this, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Followers of Christ are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. John 14, 17, the Holy Spirit, again, he's going to lead us into all truth. He's going to remind us. Verse 26 says, he's going to remind us of all the things that Jesus taught. So it's important for us to read the Bible. I don't think we've talked about this yet, but a follower of Christ is going to be somebody that reads the Word of God. You've got to spend time in the Word to be reminded of it. You've got to be minded of it by reading it, and then He will remind you of it. So, and then we talked about last week about being a part of a biblical community. Being a part of a biblical community. And, you know, I, I, it's hard to say this, but I'm going to say it. Your church isn't necessarily your biblical community. Now, it should have some people in it that are part of your biblical community because our biblical community that I'm talking about is what we talked about, a peloton. Remember, that's a French word for a platoon or a bike. There's a stationary bike and a group of riders in a race like the Tour de France. They have a peloton. That's a group of, I think they've got it narrowed down to eight riders. That's, that's your, who's your peloton? Who are people that will ride with you and that will, will shield you from the, from the wind and the waves and everything? But then again, who, who, whose peloton are you a part of? So it's important that we're a part of a biblical community. So let's go on to another one today. Now, I'm going to tell you, this one could be a little bit sensitive. This could be a little bit sensitive. This, is, this may be equivalent to when Jesus told uh, a bunch of his followers, not just his 12, but there was hundreds of his followers there. And he said, told them that you've got to eat my 
flesh and drink my blood if you want to be my disciple. And what did they do? This is a hard saying. This is, this is too hard. And then he looked at his 12 and said, what about you guys? You guys live? And they said, where would we go? You're the one, you alone have the truth. I'm not going to tell you to, to eat my flesh and drink my blood, but it could be a little sensitive for you today. And this, this one, here's the, number four is this one, to make sure that our families reflect what God wants them to be. Make sure that our families reflect what God wants them to be, or we'll just call this to kind of similar to last week, a biblical community. We'll call this being a biblical, a biblical home life, a biblical home life. And the reason I say that this could be a sensitive area for some people, because we've all grown up, grown up in different families, different types of family, different things. And some people think that theirs is a good family. Others think that theirs wasn't a good family. And uh, here's the question, though. Who makes the determinism whether our families are a good biblical family or not? You know, to what we'll do, we'll ask 10 people, and I bet we'll get 10 different answers. What a good family is. What's a good Christian? We all have our things, but again, God gets the last word, doesn't he? He makes the determinism of what a good family is, or what his ideal of a good family is. So uh, somebody, you know, says, you know, well, you know, if I, being a follower of Christ is dependent on on my family. My family is so dysfunctional, I could never, I could never be a follower of Christ. But listen, don't underestimate the redeeming power of God. Amen. You may have grown up in the craziest, you know, family, like crazy as a, well, they say crazy as a football bat. And, uh, but God can redeem. You're not bound. You're not bound to that. Things could be broken. Amen. So we're going to talk about this from, again, from God's perspective. And, and perhaps maybe some of the things that we'll say today, maybe they'll, they'll shine some light in some areas that, hey, you know, I need to, I need to, I need to tune up in that, in that area. Because uh, remember, the Word of God is called the mirror of the Word. When we read God's Word, it's like we're looking into a mirror. Can you imagine a person gets up in the mirror, they wake up, they got some drool overnight, they got it down, you know, and on the side of their face, their hair's all messed up and bad, the teeth look bad and everything. They still got cheese from last, from lunch yesterday. <laughs> And they see that, and they, oh, but then they just get dressed and go to work. That's not good. When we look in the Word of God and we see things that, well, that needs to be changed and needs to be adjusted in our life, we're a fool if we walk away and don't do it. We're, not, we're just a hearer of the Word, and we're not being a doer of the Word. So again, remember, remember that. So again, the truth is there's a lot of people in the church today that, that don't have a healthy family from God's perspective. Single people, don't tune me out. You're not out of this. You could learn something. Older people like myself <clears throat> don't tune out. You know, well, my family, my kids are, you know, they're grown. They're adult now. My kids are 40 years old. Not my kids, but you may be sitting here saying my kids are 40 or 50 years old. You know, they're, they're, they're adult kids and, and things. Your ministry, your life is not over. You're just not on standby, just waiting for the Lord to come back, hopefully. You've still got until, as you, long as you're breathing, you've got something to do. You have something that you can impact. Let me give you an example. For, uh, we, every, every month on the third Saturday, we have a men's breakfast and we have a women's breakfast. And they're separate. The men's breakfast is up in the lodge and the women's breakfast is down here in the, in the foyer. And we talk about things that are pertinent to men and women talk about things that are pertinent to, to women. And that's it. And then after we, we watch a little video and then we have a discussion about it. And listen, you older guys, I encourage you to come. You have some input. 
when we discuss things, you know, you've been through some things or I've been through some things that we can help these young whippersnappers that are sitting at our tables and not just expect just the TV, but experience is a great teacher. I've gone through some things that I can help some young men, hopefully uh, don't make some of the same mistakes that I made. So I encourage you men to do that. Listen to what this verse says in, uh, in Titus chapter two. This is that you want to add this to your notes. Like Paula was talking about on the app, you have to put this because this won't be up on the screen. It says, likewise, guide the younger men into living disciplined lives for Christ. Above all, set yourselves apart as a model of a life nobly lived, which with dignity, demonstrate integrity in all that you teach. So again, I men, I encourage you to, you know, help, help younger men out. How about some women? Let's hear something from the women. Here's what it says in Titus about the women. It says, likewise, with the female elders, lead them to live lives free from gossip and drunkenness and be teachers of beautiful things. This will enable them to teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. So again, I don't care who you are. If you've got breath in your body, you can still help and teach the younger generation. Amen? Well, that's exciting. All right. So let's get into this. Number one, I'm going to talk to you about uh, some different types of family. These types of family are in every church, every church. One is this. First one is the broken family, the broken family. And this represents about 60 to 70 percent of people. 60 to 70 percent are broken, are broken, part of a broken family. That would include, that would include through divorce or abandonment, couples living together that are not married, uh, people that are single, single parents. Again, this is not God's ultimate best. All of those things are not God's ultimate best for the family. But you know this, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's not to condemn anybody. That's just, you know, what is it? 54% of all marriages end in divorce. That's the world. That's including the church. You would think it would be 30-something percent maybe in the church, but it's just as high, and sometimes it ticks even a little bit higher. But again, there's no condemnation. Amen? It's just, again, it's just a, a, a fact. Again, God's ultimate desire for our family. Uh, you know, broken families, can be, broken families can be restored. People can be healed. Amen? The second kind of family is the divided family. Now, these are couples that live together. They're married. They live together, and, but they're divided. They, she does her thing. He does his thing. They just kind of go and just do life together. It's almost like they're roommates, but they're, just, they're not a biblical, not a biblical marriage. They're heading in different directions. They spend little time together as a, as a family. Now, the third one, here's the third one. This is called, we'll call this one the goal, G-O-A-L, the goal-oriented family. And this one, this one kind of reminds me a little bit of the, the church at Ephesus. Remember the seven churches in Ephesus? And the church at Ephesus, uh, they got commended for their hard work and that they, they, they uh, called out the false teachers and false apostles and, and the hard work that they were doing. And he said, yeah, but I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. And so there's kind of, kind of a, a thing like that, that. So what's wrong? What's wrong? What could be wrong with a goal-oriented family? Uh, goals are great. Uh, but a lot of times these families, they're, they're, there's a lot of love in the family. They're always taking great vacations. They're very supportive of their kids' activities. But the problem with it is, uh, the problem is that, that God isn't the main focus in that family. 
Now, again, you say, you said, that, well, hey, we do activity. We do a lot of activities with our kids and we do this and we do this. And we got this and, and all these things. And we keep God first. Well, good for you that I'm not talking about you. So don't get mad. Don't get in here. Don't start looking at me with, with, a, with a grimace and a mad look on your face, okay? Drink my blood and eat my flesh. I'll come to that for you if you give me that kind of look. Again, the problem is, again, God isn't the main focus. The emphasis on the family is achievements. But again, God isn't the center. They try to fit God into their busy schedule rather than fitting their schedule around God. Again, this is the goal family. They, let me say that again. They try to fit God into their busy schedule rather than fitting their schedule around God. You know, when our kids uh, going up, just, just Paul and I, our families, uh, you know, we had certain things that we would do and certain things that we weren't, that we couldn't do. When we were, when we were young, Paula and I, and I'm, I'm even much, when I was much younger than Paula, because I was, I was, I got older faster somehow. I don't know how that worked. I guess because I'm six years older than you. But I remember this, that, uh, you know, church was basically uh, Sunday morning, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You remember those days when, when they did that? And uh, there's just some churches still do that. Um, but Sunday, um, Sundays and Wednesdays in particular, Sundays and Wednesdays, um, teams, they didn't ball, my little league ball that I played in. We didn't practice on Wednesday nights. We didn't practice on Sundays. Uh, those, the, it's almost like there was a respect for the church during that time, but that's Katie bar the doors. That's out now. They, they practice on Sundays. They practice on Wednesdays. They practice all through the, all through the, any, anything. There's nothing sacred anymore. And so again, so, but we, as parents, we have to decide what we're going to do, what, what limitations Our our this is us. This is Rich and Paula, you know, Hunter bear, they're, they're good athletes and could have, you know, uh, getting on some tribal teams and stuff. And, uh, but we just, it just did not fit with our schedule. It did not fit with our lifestyle as a pastor of a church. So we just, we just, you know, if you're going to make it to the pros, you're going to have to do it on your strict talent alone. <laughs> Amen. And they're not playing in the pros. So apparently they didn't have that much talent. So, Paris, he goes down. Paris, let's just move on. Move on.org. Okay. Where'd that come from? I don't know. Just heard it. Just kind of came up. All right. Um, trying to figure out where it's okay. Da, da. So here's so here's my point. We can raise kids to what we figure is how God would want us to raise our kids. But as our kids get older, our kids now were 22, 25, and twenty-seven. Because Hunter Baird are so close, but they're just for a period of time. Hunter's Hunter's two years older, and then sometimes he's only 15 months older. <laughs> and right now, he's two years older. Number one, probably the same. Move on. <laughs> okay. So, but here's, here's my point. Barrett, you're 20, 25? Yeah, you know how I know Barrett's 25? Because we had him when we started the church. So however old the church is, that's how old Barrett is. Isn't that right? Anybody else got a 25-year-old? Okay. Anybody got a 27-year-old? Okay, 27-year-old. Are they female? I'm trying to hook Hunter up. 
<laughs> Barrett, we got you taken care of. And Riley, and now Riley's 22, and they're 22, 22-year-old, 22, 22, 22, 22-year-old, need to be godly man, need to be godly man, need to know God, need to pray, need to follow God. 22, 22, 22, going 22, 22. <laughs> there we go. We'll be talking with you in the lobby tonight, okay. I got to get that girl, got to get that girl moving. That empty nest syndrome is just looking for far away so anyway but here's my here's my point here's my point i'm coming to here's my point our desire our desire is that our kids would live a certain way to do a certain thing like like all parents godly christian parents you want your kids to do this and you train them that way but when they get to be a certain age you know up in their in their 20s they 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 make their own rules i mean they make they do what they want to do Hello? They, may, they, they do those things. You know, we move from, a, it's, a, it's a difficult change to make, but we go from being a parent to being a coach. You know, when they're, when they're 10 years old and 12 years old and 15 years old, then they'll do as I say because they're in my house and da 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 But you want them to make decisions based on those things when they have an opportunity to fire their jets and go do their thing. But it's up to them. I don't have any say-so on that. But I can tell you this, any decision that they make that's not right, and they're all, they're all making good decisions now. I'm just saying that, you just kind of talking to your kids too. When they make the decisions that maybe not be pleasing to you, as long as, here's what, here's what my thing is, I raise them to put God first. I raise them to tithe. I raise them to go to church and put God first. Now, 25 and 30 and 40 years of age, if they do those things, it's not on, it's not on me. It's not my responsibility. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, we don't. That don't mean we, we just let them, we continue to pray and speak the word over our kids because we want them to make godly decisions. We want them to marry godly uh, mates. So those things are, those things are important. I'm just wondering, you know, if your kid didn't, didn't do the, the right things and you did everything that you knew that you could do to help them make right decisions Again, just keep praying for them. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart. Now, they may drift away for a while, but by God, there's seed on them that we're calling in. Amen? That seed is, you got to keep watering it. You know what? Sometimes what we do is we dig up our seed. You know why? how we dig it up? They never do this. They don't do this. They don't do this. And we complain, 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 rather than speaking that word, speaking the word, speaking the word. All right, let's move on to the next family. We're really moving along. So the next one is the religious family. Woo, let's all hear from the religious family. Got the first thing. That's a good one, right? No. No, the problem with the religious family is they live religiously and not relationally. And they really turn the neighbors off. They turn people off that they work because they're so religious. And they forget what it's like to be lost. You know, you can get saved and you're in church for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and you forget what it's like to be lost. And we lose that passion to see the lost. Some of the best soul winners are people that just get born again. And they're telling the people what happened to them. And, you know, they're not, they're not ashamed of it. And they tell them and, 
and they get people saved. All of a sudden, you've been in church for 25 years. All you know is the people in the church. You hang out with just the, just the church. We've got to go and go out into the world. Amen? But again, sometimes they, the people that are religious, they get, they get isolated from the world. And uh, kids that are raised in those types of homes, um, oftentimes when they get the opportunity, they'll peel away and they go in a different direction. Number five is this. Here we go. Everybody say, whoo, the healthy family, the healthy family. Let me give you three core values. And again, these are they're not these are not the only three, but I'm going to give you three. These are three core values. Number one is this core values of a healthy family. You need to be and the and the family needs to be emotionally healthy, emotionally healthy. Listen to this. This is from a, a secular point of view from uh, family.org, and it says this, emotional health is an important part of your overall health. People who are emotionally healthy are in control of their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. They're able to cope with the life changes. They can keep problems in perspective and bounce back from setbacks from a healthy, emotionally healthy people. That's, that's, That's good to do, good to know. So remember this, remember this, you know this, that we are created in God's image, right? God is a tri-being, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We are a tri-being also created in God's image. I am a spirit. I have a soul, which is made up of three things, my mind, my will, and my emotions, and then a physical body. Again, you know this, of course, that a physical with a physical body, uh, physical body can get sick, isn't that right? A person can be sick in their mind. You know that, right? Just like a person could get sick in their body, a person can be sick in their mind. And that would certainly include emotionally. And it can be very beneficial at times when a person gets to be emotionally, uh, have issues with their mind, uh, to go see a Christian, to go see a Christian psychologist. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a, it, it's a good thing. Uh, where's, where's Henry at? Hey, Henry. Henry here, he is, you are, huh? John, I'm sorry, John. What did I call you, Henry? I, I know it's John Henry. It's your last name. I call you Henry, and you call me Fennell all the time, right? No. You're, you're a Christian psychologist, right? Counselor. He's a Christian counselor. But there's a bad part of that is, you, correct me if I'm wrong, you can't see people in the church. Is that right? Our church, yeah, not the church, our church. It's a crazy rule. I turned my head the other way. Somebody needs to go. Huh? But you, but you know someone that if they needed some help, you could, you could steer them in that direction, correct? Yeah. He's a good man. I think it's a crazy rule. You know, sometimes you ask for forgiveness and not permission. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That is not godly. Listen, listen to this. Emotional instability can lead to issues with drugs, alcohol, pornography, anger. All things are dealing with emotional instability. So we're talking about three core values, three core, not quite three core qualities of a, of a healthy family. Number one, again, was emotional healthy. Number two was humility. Number two uh, is emotional health. And this is number two. This is B is humility. James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, gives grace to the humble. 
when there's just a, a just a person that's just obstinate or they're they're resistant in their lives, a lot of times there's pride that's somewhere lurking around the corner. Pride. There's times there's times uh, we show signs when we deal with. Uh, hold on, let me let me see why I wrote this down. Talk about Paula's family. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, there's, there's some, sometimes she had the, I always said Paula had the Waltons family and I grew up with the Hatfields and the McCoys. But listen to this. There's some sins that when you deal with, you've dealt with them. But the sin of pride is something that you will have to deal with all of your life. It's not, you know, not that you can't get it to go away, but it's right around the corner lurking. All somebody's got to do is give you a compliment, tell you how wonderful you are, and the door to pride has just been swung wide open. Just don't step in it. Just don't take the glory. Be appreciative. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. But praise God, don't go away and just go, I am pretty wonderful, aren't I? You can tell when you somebody's entered pride because of the way they walk. Kind of a bump like that. Proverbs 16, 18, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. <laughs> I like that. That's out of the Message Bible. It's Proverbs 16, 18. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. How many of you know that most of us have a little lawyer in us? We do. We have the little lawyer ability in us. My mom asked me what I wanted to do when I was in second grade. I said, I either want to be a preacher or a lawyer. Didn't think I could pass the bar as I got older. So, um, and knowing what Matrice just went through, I'm sure I made the right decision. But uh, I've still got a little law in me. And, you know, we can talk and stuff. And, and I am a, I just argue my case. Is that right, Paula? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a pretty good lawyer, too, wouldn't you say? But listen to this. Here's what, here's what humility says. It says, I'm more interested in being in a relationship with you than I am about being right. Paul just said, honey, would you remember that? Yes, I will. Because I wrote it down. I'm more interested in being in a relationship with you than I am about being right. And here's a question sometimes that, that we need to ask ourselves in our home. How low can I go? Now, when I say that, where did your mind go? How low can I go? How evil? How mean can I go? No, 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 no. How humble can I go? How low in humility can I go? That's a great question to ask yourself. How low can I go in walking in humility? So emotional health, humility, and here's the third one. These are qualities of a healthy home is honor. We're honor. We're told in the Bible that uh, the children are to do what? Honor their father and mother. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Where do children, where do children learn? Where do they learn honor? They learn it at home or school, or do they learn that playing play probably in the neighborhood with their friends? Probably not. They're supposed to learn it in the home. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 3, 7. In the same way, husbands must give honor to your wives. Children should see honor being lived out between a husband and a wife, and especially a husband giving honor to his wife. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. We can't have a healthy home. We can't have a healthy home if our, if our thinking is all about me. 
my way, my way, me getting getting everything that I want. So our homes, our home life is a significant factor. I mean, a significant factor in us being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Listen, it is it is un is he indisputable. It is indisputable that God's word lays out the responsibility in the home life of pastors, of elders, of deacons. And I don't think it would be a stretch at all to you to say that followers of Christ, do you, to have a healthy home, have a, have a healthy relationship. The home is a great responsibility is what I'm trying to say. It's a great having a good, healthy home. All in, I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We live in a biblical community. We have a great, strong peloton, and we're a part of a great peloton and a healthy home life. Those are all characteristics of a follower of Christ. Amen.